welcome to the Natural Writer Podcast. This is a place where writers can explore alternative methods to accessing their creative process. I'm your host, Nicola Thompson. I am a writer, writing coach, ghostwriter, and tarot reader. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Natural Writer Podcast. I want to start off first by apologizing. <laughs> I'm in a really squeaky chair, and for whatever reason today, I can't really seem to sit still. And so you're probably going to hear me creaking a lot. I'll do my best to edit it out, but if you hear a few odd groans of the chair, that's because I'm feeling a little... I mean, really, honestly, what I'm feeling is in pain. I got hip and back problems at the minute, and so as a result, I'm changing my position quite a bit. To be perfectly candid, that's what's going on. <laughs> but I will try and make sure that doesn't disturb anything. I just wanted to give the heads up. I also wanted to say that as this comes out, we are just a few days away from the Nightmares When I'm Cold anthology being released. I have been working on this project with Katrina Carruth since June, and it has been such a delight. You can go and learn more about it by checking out episode six of the Natural Writer podcast. I talk a lot about it. In a nutshell, it is a horror anthology. We have some really talented writers. There's really phenomenal art by Stephanie Erkus Keelock. And it is just a really fantastic piece. This is something I've never done anything like this before. Katrina hasn't done anything like this before. This is a first for both of us. And we're both extremely excited about it. You can totally go and pre-order it. Go to Amazon. Pre-order the ebook that will be released on December 1st, as will the physical copy of the book. But you can't, unfortunately pre-order the physical copy. It's a weird Amazon thing. I don't really understand why, but whatevs. If you want to support us, please, I would love it if you pre-ordered your book. It's only $1.99 and you'll get it to your e-reading device on December 1st. And I'm really excited for it. So I hope that you'll be thrilled with it too. The other thing is I just wanted to remind you to go check out the Celtic Cross for Writers workbook. It's available on my website. Just go to my website, naturalwritercoaching.com. There will be a pop-up that says, get your free Celtic Cross for Writers workbook. This is a free 75-page, fully colored, beautiful workbook that is designed to use the Celtic Cross in your tarot and you to delve into your writing self and to really hone into where you need to start from in transforming yourself to be the writer that you want to be. This is a really in-depth look. I highly recommend it and it's going to be gone pretty soon. So check it out. Make sure you get your copy. Also be sure to follow me on Instagram because I'm going to be posting journal prompts to get you through December to help you start designing your writing goals for 2022. The idea is that we look at where you are now as a writer. We look at what you want to be. We consider your writer seasons. We consider what your goal is for January and work your way through the year. These are some in-depth writing prompts, journaling prompts that I highly recommend. So you can totally follow me on Instagram and check those out as well. Again, they're going to be daily. So yeah, go follow me on Instagram at Natural Writer Coaching. Super simple. Okay, with all of that said, I will actually start on today's topic. And today's topic is actually going to be something I've been waiting to talk about for absolute months. Months before this podcast was even a thing, I have been wanting to talk about it. And even though I haven't talked about it publicly, I literally talked to everybody about it. I am obsessed with this topic. 
I want more literature on it. I want to delve into it more. I want to talk about it more. So if this is something that you want to talk about, for love of God, please email me, DM me, whatever. I'm at Nicola at naturalwritercoaching.com. Totally email me about it. Let's strike up a discussion because I'm so fascinated by this. And the topic is the book, The Heroine's Journey by Gail Carriger. This book has absolutely changed everything about the way I view the world, about the way I view writing and storytelling and the impact that storytelling has. It's so amazing. And it's so funny because I'll be talking to like just about anyone and then something will make me think of it. I'll be like, you mean like the heroine's journey? And it's just, it's, it's funny. Just every now and then I'll just utter under my breath, like the heroine's journey. Seriously, this has influenced me in so many ways. It's a little bit ridiculous. Anyway, my poor friends are getting pretty annoyed at me for constantly muttering heroin's journey at any given applicable application, which truly is most of the time. I feel like we've been bred into this society where we believe that the hero's journey is actually how we go through life. And that is the problem. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Just stop, Nicola. Okay, let me reel this back. <laughs> okay. So the reason that I held off for so long writing on this topic was because Writing the Other was doing a webinar on it. And I was really hoping that they would make this webinar uh, retroactive so you'd be able to buy it and watch it later. But apparently, if that is the case at this point, it has not been made so. But I wanted I wanted to hold off saying anything about it because I, I didn't want to detract from what they were doing because I really believe in Writing the Other getting their and getting support. But for those who don't know, Writing the Other is an online organization that provides classes and events and resources to help writers write responsibly. That means that for writers who are creating characters who are different from themselves, they can go forward without falling into harmful tropes or misguided information. Some examples of Writing the Other are neurotypical writers writing neurodivergent characters, straight writers writing characters who are LGBTQIA2+, writers from one culture writing about another culture, men writing women, able-bodied authors writing characters with disabilities, and so on and so forth. Basically, if you are writing a character who is different from yourself, who also has some societally damaging stereotypes around them. I think I've, I mentioned this a couple of times. There's been the discussion around the villain in the new James Bond movie, who apparently I think they have a scar or they have some form of facial disfigurement. And this is a problem for those who go through life with a form of facial disfigurement because it's often a trope that the villain has this mark and thus it can say hey people who have some form of differentness about their face such as a scar such as just I don't know being born just different it can be a sign of them not being a good person and this is something that actually does get reflected in normal people's everyday lives who go through their lives with different faces. So these are these are things that can be harmful. And so writing the other is about including characters who are different from the self, different from the writer, and making sure that these characters aren't depicted in a harmful way. Furthermore, that they're also about more than their quote otherness. So for example, if you have a character who is OCD, their entire character isn't about being OCD or just needing their desk super tidy. They are more than their obsessive compulsive disorder. They are a full rounded human being. 
that's what writer writing the other is about and that's why i wanted to support them and they or they had a workshop that featured gail Carriger and talked about her wonderful amazing book the heroine's journey however now that the webinar is over and again I'll, I'll include links to writing the other in the show notes because i really do think it's important that you check it out but now that the webinar is over i can talk about the book without fear of taking away from them <laughs> that being said Carriger, who's generally known in the romance genre outlines the importance of the heroine's journey explaining that while it isn't often recognized or even taught it's actually essential and pretty everywhere and I was kind of dubious of the statement when I first read it, but as she explained, I've, I've started noticing it absolutely everywhere. But before I get into it, I want to point out what Carragher points out, that just because it's a hero's journey versus a heroine's journey doesn't necessarily mean that it's a male character or main character versus a female main character. The main character of either journey can be of any gender. It's about the beats that the plot takes on and how the conflict is resolved and how the main character goes about solving the problem in the book, not about the gender of the character. And of course, the book is pretty good about outlining the difference between the heroine's journey versus the hero hero's journey and so much so that Carragher actually goes between like she'll regularly put in hey by the way here's a reminder of what the hero's plot points are versus here's what the heroine's journey plot points are and I think that's really helpful that she includes that re repeatedly yes you can go back to the original one and they're kind of presented slightly differently so maybe one will be like a little bit more detailed than the other but she still includes them and so the nice thing is that like if, if one set of plot points don't quite make sense to you you can find another set of plot points that she provides which is essentially saying the same thing just in a different way so it makes it really really comprehensible so let me just kind of summarize this so the hero's journey is about going it alone and solving the conflicts within the confrontation that is usually in some form of fight when the main character returns from their journey they're so changed that they can't be a part of society that they started out in and thus they continue on alone the hero's journey essentially is then about solitude and refraining from asking for help asking for help is seen as a sign of weakness in the hero's journey which Oh God, I see this so much. I see this so much in society. It's a little bit ridiculous. Anyways, furthermore, within the actual story, women are either a prize at the end or a distraction from the mission. So for example, if there's a love interest, specifically one that they might be sexually attracted to, unless there's the love interest is someone that they get at the end, then they are a distraction throughout the whole process. And if the woman is an ally, then they are destined to die at some point or otherwise they'll be incapacitated in some way which will then act as motivation for the main character so essentially any women in the hero's journey acts as a plot point they're a prize they're a distraction or they serve as motivation they're not there simply for the sake of being there simply to help the character develop if that makes sense. They contribute nothing to the character's development whatsoever. And so here's, I'm going to include a few quotes through this because she's just so brilliant and I really want you to go buy her book. So anyways, so here's what she has to say. Feminine characters, be they gods, foils, or love interests, thwart the hero via stagnation and or distraction, witches, goddess, sorceresses, then present, symbolically or otherwise, usually represent chaotic forces of nature or civilizing forces of structure who are attempting to stop the hero with sex or marriage or death, sometimes all three, 
To that end, wives or daughters represent civilization, which is not a positive for our hero, because civilization seeks to control the hero through inertia, and inertia is the hero's ultimate enemy. If he cannot move through space and time, he cannot accomplish his quest. Feminine characters seek to pause the hero's momentum. This is on pages 46 through 7. Sorry, 46 through 47. There is so much in this that I want to unpack, but I'm going to save that for a little bit later, though. I share this quote, though, as an outline of collaboration in the hero's journey. While this specifically is directed at women in the hero's journey, I think that there's a ripple effect for how other companions can be viewed. After all, aren't love interests the ultimate companionship? Again, I'll dig into this a little bit later. I do want to point out, though, that there is a lot that I'm leaving out of the hero's journey. For example, the fact that there's a prize at the end of the hero's journey for the hero to obtain, or that the hero is often somehow born into a legacy that must be fulfilled. Also, importantly, that they withdraw from their no normal society willingly. That's a key point. They willingly go on the quest. So here's uh, the basic gist of heroine's journey. The heroine's journey, on the other hand, usually involves an involuntary descent for the heroine, usually initiated by a torn family structure, such as the loss of a child or a broken home. While I skimmed over the beats for the hero's journey, I'm actually going to give you the full plot beats as written in the book for the heroine's journey since it's generally lesser known and I just kind of want to make sure that it's very clear because I'm going to be talking about it so much. Imagine that, right? <laughs> but honestly, go read this book. So it starts off with the descent. Under the header of the descent or loss of or separation, we have the familial network is broken, pleads are ignored, resulting in abdication of power, the withdrawal from society is involuntary, family offers aid but no solution, the result is isolation and danger. When we're looking at the familial network is broken, so it might be that there's a death of a child, the taking of a child. Uh, Demeter and Persephone is an example. So in which case Persephone is taken. Demeter pleads for help, but those pleas are ignored. As a result, she has to step down from her power so that she can sort this out, so she can go after her daughter. She has no other choice because her family ties are at risk. There is nothing else that she can do because the only choice is to go after and try and find her daughter. Um, the family offers aid, but they don't help. I mean, there, there's not a solution. The result is that she has to go it alone and it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous task. So that's kind of what that, that initial descent section is about. And then you have the search. The search is like, is forced withdrawal. We're on the search for unity and the unity being that of the family. So the whole goal of the heroine's journey is wholeness. By the child being taken, by the family being split up, the heroine, the main character, the whole story is a representation of community or the family unit or, you know, whatever that might be where people are coming together and working as a whole. And so the goal of the heroine's journey, the goal for the heroine, the main character, is to unite and, and reestablish that wholeness. And so in this section of the plot beats, we understand that the loss of family means risk. And as a result, the main character might resort to disguise or subversion in order to try and get what they need. They'll appeal to surrogate family or network in an attempt to rebuild community. They visit the underworld, however that's represented. And throughout the journey, they find friends and family who do actually end up helping. So while initially there's family that kind of says they'll help, they don't actually help too much. Throughout the journey, there is a community that does get 
built that helps the heroine with the ultimate goal. I'll get into some examples in a minute here too, because Carragher does provide these examples, which is excellent. And then you have the ascent, which is the return. So there's negotiations for reunification, which results in a compromise, which benefits all. So returning to the Demeter example, Demeter confronts Hades and doesn't defeat Hades. She doesn't fight Hades. She creates a compromise in which Hades has Persephone half of the year. A network is established or reestablished in an altar form. So the network that has been established is that which the heroine has worked towards creating throughout this journey. And then it doesn't matter if the heroine gets revenge because it's not about revenge. It's not about fighting. It's about unity. The whole journey is about unity and reuniting the community, the family, or finding that wholeness. So glory is also irrelevant. And this is something that is a direct contrast of the hero hero's journey. At the hero's journey, as I mentioned, that there's a prize at the end or a boon. There's a reward, whether it's glory, whether it's pride, whether it's revenge, whatever it is, that's not apparent in the heroine's journey. It's just about reunification. While Carragher iterates these plots several times throughout the book, this is the first time and can be found on pages 57 through 58. She then goes out to have several examples, which is great, and she outlines them through the tale of Isis, again through Demeter, through examples of Harry Potter, and the Twilight Saga as well. Some further examples that appear in pop media that are kind of surprising is Star Trek The Next Generation. It's all about colonizing, not colonizing, but it's about finding unification and humanity. The movie Leverage, I can't speak on that because I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, any buddy cop film. So where you have two opposing cops that have to work together and they develop a friendship at the end. That's that's the heroine's journey. Any girl empowerment films, heist films. It's all about bringing together, working together, and exiting with a community at the end of it. And one that I want to add is The Parable of Sour by Octavia Butler. I think I read The Heroine's Journey right after I read The Parable of Sour, which by the way is an excellent book anyway, but it is absolutely all about the main character. The, the, her home starts off kind of being destroyed and she knows that she has to travel north. And so as she does, she collects people and they are looking for a place to set up and build a commune, essentially. It is a prime example of The Heroine's Journey. I have a cheeky theory that perhaps District 9 is the heroine's journey, though I'd need to rewatch it again, but I kind of think that it's a little bit heroine's journey-y. You watch it and you tell me. <laughs> Read the heroine's journey, then watch District 9, then you tell me. Again, if you want to discuss this, for, please, please email me and let's discuss this because I would love to. So here's another quote from her. On the page, the heroine's journey can be found in all romance novels, most co cozy mysteries, some sci-fi fantasy, particularly those with a group dynamic backbone, like space operas, a great deal of so-called women's fiction, like Waiting to Exhale, and at least half of all YA. This is found on page 114. Essentially, anywhere that the whole team is used in order to help the heroine succeed, or perhaps where it can't be done without the team or the network community. So probably a lot of sports films too. So like Mighty Ducks, for example, any story where the main character can't reach their goal without a team or network or community, then it's considered a heroine's journey. If it isn't actually about the individual, it's about everyone being able to come out with the win. Furthermore, the hero in the heroine's journey asks for help and accepts help. If ever you're trying to do a 
uh, tarot spread and plot with this idea in mind, using the Six of Pentacles as a anchor or a signifier card might be really helpful. That's all I can think of when I see this. But the main character is not afraid to ask for help. And furthermore, when help is offered, they accept it the whole story through. This is the strength in this journey. Like this is the key golden nugget. Oftentimes when I'm talking to writers, I'll say, what is true in a story? What is one big thing that is true? And this isn't my concept. This is something that I got from writing excuses. But what is one big thing that is true? So when you're looking in terms of the plot and plot beats, what is one thing that is true in the plot beats? Your main character can ask for help and they can receive help and everything else is going to stem from that ability and that's what's going to really make it that heroine's journey. And what's more is it's going to be what makes the heroine's journey strong. Only through community and collaboration can strength be found. That's the key takeaway. The ending isn't necessarily about the fight, it's about the union. Let me just hammer some stuff home. Here's some, some differences. So there's success and motivation. One thing that Carragher points out is the difference between the hero and the heroine's journey is the definition of success. And I can't word this well enough, so I'm just going to pull from, I've got two quotes that I'm going to pull from her. The hero succeeds by voluntarily withdrawing himself from his culture, family, and the world of social interactions. Our hero succeeds by going it alone. For him, isolation leads to victory. That's on page 46. Next quote. In your story, for example, if a hypothetical girlfriend is nothing more than a reward for the hero's job well done, this is profoundly different from her being an active network of help, communication, and cohesion. For the heroine, a hypothetical girlfriend is there to make the journey with her. For the hero, his girlfriend is most likely a plot device to spur him into greater solitary action. This is on page 47. Conversely, the heroine's journey is about retrieving something that has been taken away from them. Oftentimes, this is a broken family in some way, as I've already said, whether it's a loss of a child or perhaps a lover, family member, so on and so forth. This compels the heroine to move forward, and thus it doesn't matter how they retrieve what was lost, whether it's by replacing the lost person with someone greater or a new and different connection. That's the goal. The motivation is some form of union. So in the ter terms of romance, oftentimes in romances, um, you'll find someone who you start off with someone is brokenhearted and they have to go and they find a new way of loving and they have their, their friends to kind of help them through it for a very broad example. What has been broken is that initial family tie because they're brokenhearted and had, I don't know, a crappy breakup or found out they were cheated on or whatever. And then they have to learn to love again and accept this new relationship again. So that's why romances kind of fall into it. Oftentimes they'll end in a wedding. Again, a unification. Carragher does outline that that which is lost can be an object, but it needs to have a really tight familial tie. So for example, maybe it is a locket of a twin sister who has passed and it needs, it's been stolen and it needs to be retrieved. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking of things. Another difference is the refusal of the call. A beat that is often used in the hero's journey is the refusal of the call. When the call to adventure happens and the hero will turn it down, they'll have their reasons and be like, no, not happening. So this is the refusal of the call. However, then something happens that compels the hero into action and thus participates in the journey more actively. In the heroine's journey, the heroine, on the other hand, doesn't have the option of refusing the call. There literally is no other option for them. They have to, they are compelled 
they have not got the luxury to say no since it's something that's familial that's been taken from them and there's nothing else that can be done there's no other there's no just letting that go there's no waffling no option to stay put and stay safe reunification must be achieved at all costs um, another difference between the hero and the heroine's journey is strength and how it's viewed this is one of the more important ones in my eyes and this is something that i'm going to get into a little bit later, which is how the heroine views strength versus the way the hero views strength. And they're definitely very two different beasts. The hero views strength in their ability to complete a mission in their own, whereas the heroine, it lies in community. Quote, since the hero requires separation in order to achieve his goals, all attachments threaten his success. No matter how much he may love his wife, that wife represents risk through which the hero may be pressured away from his quest. The heroine, we will find, is the opposite. For the hero, sharing, particularly power or glory, weakens the boundaries of self, which gives new meaning to the concept of selfless acts. Such acts diminish the hero and make less of him, or in the case of our tragic hero, bringing about his demise. Page 48. The hero's journey is almost about reaffirming who they are as an individual rather than who they are in relation to others. Thus, it's essential to preserve and intensify that understanding of self for the hero. One might even call this ego in an extreme sense. While knowing the self is certainly desirable and healthy, preserving the self in the instance that the hero goes it alone can be somewhat toxic. It might actually make someone resistant to growth altogether, for example. I mean, these are, of course, are my thoughts on the topic rather than what Carragher posits. She goes on to write, The heroine's journey, on the other hand, explores the notion that giving away something of oneself and sharing achievement can actually contribute to the evolution of both characters, thus enriching the heroine's life and everybody's perspective of success. This is on page 48 through 49. Right, so I'm going to go off script a little bit here because I actually have a complete rant about this. We are never just ourselves. This is something I actually talk a lot about and I was just talking to someone about the other day. We are never just ourselves. We are ourselves when we are, our, are on our own. And so that's why it's essential that we have that alone time so that we can discover who we are when we are just ourselves. However, when we are with other people, we alter and we change. We react to that other person. That other person then becomes an extension of us just as we become an extension of them. Because who I am with my mom is different than who I am with my best friend, with my guy best friend, with my sister, with my other sister, with my brother. I am a different person depending on who I'm interacting with, what the relationship is that I developed with them. I'm even different with different strangers based on the energy that they give me. So when I'm reading tarot, how I conduct myself, depending on say if I'm working with a teenager versus someone who's older than me, it is very different. Thus, I am creating a version of myself that is interacting with the other person. And thus, I am a different person with them that is unique to them just as they are a different person with me that is unique to me. And that can't be replicated because of the different combinations of different people that there are. It's very, very unlikely that it'll be replicated. How about that? As a result, the heroine's journey is an acknowledgement of that, in my opinion. It's an acknowledgement that in order to find a wholeness of self, you need to have a community because you fully understand who you are in these different situations and everybody's working together and building something of a much greater thing. Whereas the hero's journey is about finding who you are on your own, which is why I think asking for help and interacting with other people is seen as a weakness because it takes away from the main goal, which isn't necessarily fully explored in all heroes journey based stories 
uh, which is to discover what the self is when they're sol solitary. I don't think one is is better or worse than the other. I think both are essential because we need to know who we are in a community and we need to know who we are in ourselves. Anyways, okay, I'm going back on script. <laughs> so I said I'm going to go back on script and it turns out that my back on script is pretty close to what I just said, but I say it better. So I'm going to reiterate it. <laughs> This is something I certainly want to get into. I believe that we are not just who we believe ourselves to be, nor are we what the another person believes us to be. We are many aspects of ourselves expressed differently with different interactions of different people. We are an extension of the joined energy that happens when we converse, comfort, confront, etc. other individuals. Thus, we are constantly evolving. We are a constantly evolving individual. That Okay, there's actually a lot more than that I wrote here, but it really is saying the same thing. <laughs> Uh, we show this different facets of ourselves in different situations and different people based on the relationship and comfort that has been cultivated with each individual as well as what societal conventions dictate as well, which means that local culture comes into play. Thus, when we take into consideration character development and how we can best show our characters and how they respond to and are part of themselves that they show to others, it is a deep way of revealing your character. I think that was a really convoluted way of saying when you're developing your character, it's essential that you have a cast of characters in which your character interacts with so that your readers can get a full view of your character. Um, something that I really enjoy playing around with, and I've seen this depicted in other stories. I love the idea of the main character whose perspective we'd never actually get to learn. So it's all people who are witnessing and telling the story of their experience of the main character. I think it's fascinating. I don't necessarily do this with the main character, but like I've got a story where I've got three quote main characters and the thread that goes between them is this one person that interacts with them and we never hear her story from her we only there are scenes that are just about her and don't have any of the main characters but we hear about her from other characters in the theme or in the scene for example there's a scene where she's in the library and we learn about her and what she's working on but we learn it from the librarian's perspective so i like playing around with that because I, I think it uh definitely gives a different spin on a character than how a character portrays himself. Carragher writes, because a heroine's strength is in her network, community and civilization are desirable, including concrete symbols thereof, from organized religion to nesting and building a home to organizing a party or celebration. As writers of this journey, it behooves us to give our audience multiple likable characters assisting our heroine, but also to describe her comforting physical spaces. Example, Ron's family home, Bella and Edward's cabin. Not to mention community building events such as family dinner, friendship gatherings, weddings, childbirth, and group workplaces. This is on page 110. And this is essentially outlining what I was just ranting about. <laughs> I want to talk about the greater implications of the hero versus the heroine's journey. And this is why I think everybody needs to know this. And this is why I can't damn shut up about this freaking thing. Because <laughs> there's such bigger implications than just how we tell a story. So I've only listed a few of the differences that Carragher outlines. Again, go read the book. There are absolutely plenty of them. I don't want to tread on Carragher's toes in the slightest, which is why I'm telling you, please buy and read her book. It is so good. 
But I do feel that I've given you enough that I can start going into the greater implications that I see as a result of our society being mostly focused on the hero's journey rather than actively incorporating the heroine's journey. So I'll start off with myself and my own views of it. When I started reading the heroine's journey, I had zero interest in it, especially when I saw that it was about happy endings and community. Happy endings, community are not my jam. I'm all about the go it alone route. And especially when having a tortured main character, I like to examine the darkness of the soul and I like to find out what makes us tick and how we overcome it or if it's even worth overcoming at all. This is, of course, the philosopher in me, right? (laughs) If there's a love interest in a film, I'm 90% of the time not interested in it because I feel like it's a plot device to just rope in more viewers and kind of make it appealing to a broader audience. And I feel that it diminishes the film. Oftentimes I feel that the film would be just the same if it didn't have the love interest. I don't like rom-coms. I don't like buddy cop movies. And I don't like movies that are about the underdog team coming together to win a sport. None of it is my deal. But this book got me thinking, why? Like seriously, why on earth am I this judgy? Why do I feel this way? Why am I this opinionated about these kinds of movies? I'm a feminist. I should be about these things. I should be about people supporting one another and coming together to create a common goal. I should be about the happy endings because that is what I really desperately would like for, I don't know, climate change, the world. I'd like the world to get together and stop hating each other. I mean, I would love it. So why don't I want this in my media? (laughs) This book actually really forced me to examine my own reasonings why I don't enjoy these things, especially in my daily life. Again, I love community. Like when I moved back to the States, One of my biggest thing was that I promised myself is that I would get involved in community, whatever that meant. Like I need to be out in the community. I haven't felt like I've been a part of it for years. Again, why does this put me off? I don't have much of an answer other than, and I think this is actually probably the answer, but I feel like this is also a little bit shifting the blame, but you know, we'll see. (laughs) I think the media has conditioned me to reject community and unity and happy endings as quality entertainment because the hero's journey saturates pop culture. And I try not to involve myself too much in pop culture, but you can only do so much, right? The thing that I find interesting is that I regularly and consistently keep an eye out for media programming. I'm always looking for propaganda. I'm asking what the messaging is behind a story. For example, I have plenty of issues with J.K. Rowling and the problematic cliches she relies upon in Harry Potter, the happy enslaved house elves, the long-node money-hungry goblins, etc., etc., etc. Never mind her rhetoric that appears on Twitter, but that's not something I'm going to get into. I try not to talk about her too much. However, I think as a literature major and as a philosophy major, I'm trained to look at things analytically and look at things critically. And as a result, I do that with media that I consume pretty regularly. And yet, despite always being on the lookout and trying to make sure that I don't fall into traps of being programmed, I actually have been conditioned to view the hero's journey as superior to the heroine's journey. And this by no means means that the heroine's journey or the hero's journey is superior to one another. They, they simply are two different journeys. I think that they've got to work together, to be honest. And if they're working together, then I guess it's a heroine story. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so then what is the messaging of the hero's journey? How is it seeped into how we as a culture operate? And I do mean as a Western culture, as I can't speak for any other culture. I see it literally everywhere, starting with our work ethic. Of those of us who strive high 
how many ask for help? How many of us have to be convinced to take breaks and thus to delegate tasks to make something work? I know, I know, oftentimes corporations are about the teamwork, you know, teamwork makes a dream work and all that, though how many of us adhere to that? Furthermore, how many of us are determined to succeed on our own in our everyday lives, in our partnerships? Consider, <laughs> consider taking in the groceries. How many of us are willing to ask for help with the groceries versus taking all the bags of groceries in one obnoxious trip that hurts and makes our fingers feel like they're going to fall off? I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty terrible for asking for help. And plus, I just don't even feel comfortable asking for help most of the time. So what does that look like in our daily lives? What does that look like in our work lives? What does that look like in our connections and our partnerships? I feel like this is especially seen in a cultural view of masculinity, that males must be the ones to provide for the family and thus have any financial help from the family is seen as a failure. I know of a particular individual who refuses to ask for help from the community because they feel it isn't the way the world works. They feel that people don't help others for no reason and thus he shouldn't ask for help because he hasn't done anything to warrant favors, despite the fact that his friends in the community constantly offer to help him. What's that trope? Like the couple driving along the road, getting lost, you know, the pre-cell phones trope. And the lady who wants to ask for help, but the man is determined to figure it out on his own. I'm not gonna lie, I totally fall into this. I struggle to ask for help all the time. This isn't just a, a male versus female thing. I don't mean it that way. Though, you know, it's. It, I think that it's generally prominent in masculine roles versus feminine roles. I'm trying really hard to make this gender neutral. I'm doing a really bad job. I'm so sorry. It's because of this that I feel that it is so important to talk about the heroine's journey so that we can see the toxic oversaturation of the hero's journey and what it has on us. This isn't to say that the hero's journey in itself is toxic. It's just like anything left unchecked is problematic. The hero's journey is definitely left unchecked and it's programming us into a very difficult and problematic world. When we use the hero's journey in conjunction with the heroine's journey, then we're teaching our society through story how to both function in a world with other peoples as well as within ourselves. Both stories are essential for a balanced society. And this is going back to what I was saying earlier. The hero's journey is about being in solitude so you can learn about yourself. The heroine's journey is about building community so you can solve problems. And this is kind of some of my mission that when I choose to use some form of journey as a template for a story, which isn't all the time, mind, I want to try and challenge myself to use the heroine's journey in order to proliferate its message. However, I don't write romance or feel good stories. I write literary and horror and dystopia, which makes for an added fun challenge. I'm currently working actually on a short story right now, which is a horror story that follows a heroine's journey. So uh, there's that. <laughs> and it's fun to put in these challenges. So I'm actually going to leave you with a piece of homework. After listening to me ramble about this for a while, first of all, go read The Heroine's Journey by Gail Carriger. Make sure you buy it. And I've got some questions for you to journal on. Also, go to the Writing the Others website to see what you can do to further your understanding of character development, character arcs, and harmful and positive tropes. This is not much to do with the heroine's journey, but I just want to throw that in there because seriously, writing the other is wonderful. Anyway, so here are your journal prompts. And also, you can use your tarot deck as well. One thing I really like to do is when I've got 
specific questions. I will draw a card face down for each question and then I'll go through with my journal. I'll write on each question, then flip the card over, journal on the card, and then compare my answers of the two. And oftentimes I get some really interesting insight that way. Anyway, here are your questions. One, how do you view the hero's journey and why? Two, how do you view the heroine's journey? Why? Three, in what way do you see the hero's journey messaging playing out in your own life? Four, in what way do you see the heroine's journey messaging playing out in your own life? Five, how can you balance the two aspects of the journeys in your life? Six, do you write following the hero's journey? Why or why not? Seven, do you write following the heroine's journey? Why or why not? All right. That is what I have for you. I hope that I've convinced you to start kind of questioning some of the story outlines and plots that we pick. I hope that I've encouraged you to go and read this fantastic book. I really recommend it. I want to find more on this topic. There's a couple books that I've found, but not many. If you have any suggestions, I would love to hear about it. Please feel free to email me, nicola at naturalwritercoaching.com. If you want to talk about this subject more, again, nicola at naturalwritercoaching.com. Definitely feel free to email me or you can DM me on Instagram, which is at naturalwritercoaching. And make sure that you go and pre-order the Nightmares When I'm Cold ebook. If not, on December 1st, you can order the physical copy of it, which is absolutely stunning. I mean, they both are, but I'm a little bit more biased towards a physical copy because I do like to smell a book. <laughs> Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week. Happy writing.